0: with Tim Ironcow. It is old fucking official. All right? Stop playing. Download and subscribe. Library Rap, the hip-hop interviews with Tim Ironcow. It's cold. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. It's your boy, Farrell March in the building. I need y'all to make sure you subscribe and download to the podcast, Library Rap. Hip-Hop Interviews with your boy Tim Einenkel. You already know. Season change. I'm in a different place like Aqua Off information retrieval monopoly. Agent prodigy. Exchanging for property. Taylor made anomaly. Trading drama for comedy.
1: Battle Rapper, MC, Digital Marketing Maven, Mike King. Thank you for joining me on Library Rap, the Hip-Hop Interviews with Tim Einenkel. Thank you so much, man.
2: Thanks for having me.
1: Thank you. So as I mentioned, Battle Rapper, MC, Digital Marketing Maven. So let's start from the beginning. When did you... Well... What drew you to rap music and hip-hop culture, but then when was that moment that you saw, saw more to it? I mean, you know, set your sights for not just the art, but actually, like, as I mentioned, digital marketing.
2: Yeah, I mean, you know, I, I grew up in North Philly, so, like, hip-hop was always there, you know what I mean? It was no different than what people talk about with the South Bronx and all that, how people were having you know, parties and everything. The the first record I remember is Criminal Minded by KRS-One or rather Boogie Down Productions. But it wasn't until, um, you know, I kind of have like a Fresh Prince of Bel-Air story. My parents didn't want me to go to high school in Philly because they thought I was going to get into much trouble. So I went to school in Connecticut and like, I wanted to do things that feel still connected to Philly. And so I started like, you know, break in. I started doing graffiti. And then eventually I started rhyming because I heard um, Cow" by Method Man. I was like, yo, I can do this. (laughs) And um, you know what I mean? So like, it just kind of went from there. And um, I ended up in marketing by accident. You know, I'm a self-taught coder. I've been coding since I was 12. Then I went to school. I went to Howard uh, for computer science and you know then i was like ah, i don't think i really want to do this with my life because i was i was doing all these internships out in silicon valley with these like stressed out dilbert type dudes and i was just <laughs> like yeah i'm not feeling this you know what i mean i like doing it i just don't like working with them <laughs> you know what i'm saying <laughs> and so i was like yeah i want to be a rapper instead and um i did that professionally you know like back from for like eight years, basically, you know what I mean? From like 03 to 2011. But in 06, I got into a bike accident and there was no Obamacare then. So I had to get a job to pay my medical bills. And the first place to hire me was an SEO agency. And I had a lot of fun doing that, right? Cause like, I originally was like, yeah, I'm just gonna keep this job for three months, pay my bills and then go on tour. Cause I was about to go on my first um, uh, European tour. And I was just like, yeah, this is cool, you know. And then I I went to give my notice and they were like, nah, you ain't got to give notice. Just work from home so you can work from the road. I was just like, my mind was completely blown. And so I just didn't know that there was so much like flexibility in that world to be able to just kind of like do whatever. And I also ended up being really good at it. So, you know, I'll keep the jobs till my boss pissed me off. Then I would go back on tour. And then after a certain (laughs) point, I was like, yo, I could just you know stick with this and make some real money, and so here we are.
1: It's amazing because usually you think of you know like I meet. It's gonna make me sound like I have a drinking problem, but I meet like a lot. I meet like a lot of a bartenders who are artists, right? Mm-hmm. And, or you know, or even like coffee baristas, right? Mm-hmm. Where they have those type of jobs, or actors, or you know any sort of in the art field and and they have those jobs because they give you those flexibility of to, you know, to take a shift, like, you know, six months out of the year and then go on tour for whatever. So, you know, and then, and you guarantee to have work afterwards, it's just that you, you didn't have to go that right. You had a different route of going about.
2: Yeah. I mean, so I worked at a few of the multinational, you know, ad agencies and pretty much every copywriter, designer, producer, in those organizations, like has a script in their desk or they got some sort of like thing they really wanted to do. And, you know, had I known this from a younger age, I probably would have ended up in like marketing. Like I've never taken a marketing class ever, you know what (laughs) I mean? But like, um, had I known, I probably would have went in that direction. Mm. And, you know, there's people like like Little Dicky, right? That guy was a copywriter at an ad agency. You know what I mean? Like that's, that's what those people are like. And, um, luckily for me though, cause when I, when I was working at my first multinational agency, I was just working like 24 hours a week. And so what I was doing was sandwiching those hours in the middle of the week so I could still tour on the weekend and like, you know, Thursday to, to Sunday, basically. And, um, so yeah, it was really conducive to me continuing to rhyme at that point, but, You know, it also there was just like a lot of change that happened around that time in like 2011, and I wasn't able to get shows the same way. I wasn't able to, you know, put together records the same way. And I was just like, all right, well, I'm just gonna stick with, you know, this marketing thing. It's it's working for me.
1: Can you talk about actually? Can you take us back to 2011? What were what were those major changes that you're you're talking about in terms of uh, being an artist, trying to book your own shows, trying to you know get certain features, et cetera, et cetera.
2: I mean it was it was changing dramatically right cuz like uh Spotify came out in like '08, oh, and you know the the um music industry had to deal with that and so it was like such a weird time it was like the blog era but no one really knew what they were doing and you know you had to get the the publicists to like get on the blogs and it just wasn't the same where I could just create um traction by myself right like I didn't know how to use my marketing skills for rap just yet because I was doing like a very specific type of marketing that didn't really necessarily you know create opportunity for you like so you know I I had optimized my website at that time to rank number one for the keyword best rapper ever and it was the worst traffic possible because everybody was looking for little Wayne so like I had super high bounce rates and things like that so I didn't know how to do like content strategy and content marketing and things like that and i wasn't able to really use that skill set just yet to really create in this new environment and also the the environment was still pretty nascent right like we didn't have you know instagram we didn't have TikTok and things like that at this point it was really like you know uh myspace was phasing out facebook was coming about but it wasn't like used as the platform really to get music out there in the way that it is now. So it's kind of like I was I wasn't ready to um be a trend setter mm-hmm. and I also didn't know how to really ride the wave at that point to continue to do what I was doing.
1: Was it very similar to now where, you know, you you know, artists today have to Constantly bring out, you know, new music or new, you know, new, 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 some sort of content, right? Like, you know, you're done with your album, and then the next question is, when's the next album, right? So it's just constant, constant, constant. I mean, is that similar how it was in 2011, or was that uh, kind of more a few years down the line?
2: It was, but it was more about mixtapes then, right? Right. Like you had to have 59 mixtapes between records, and like, you know, less people wanted to hear your actual record; they just wanted to hear you rap over other people's beats. And that wasn't really something I was interested in at that time, you know. Like I, I've always been someone who takes the time to like make the cohesive piece of uh, music, and you know I understand a lot more like how I can make that work for me now. And, and the way I'm doing it now is like I just release something every three months, whether that's like you know one song, a three pack, or whatever. Um, because what resonates with people now is like this idea of a brand that's always on. And, you know, that's the best way to create traction. And it really just aligns with what I know how to do now after being in digital marketing for, I don't know, like 15, 16 years now.
1: Uh, I want to step back a little bit, you know, we um, and not just talk about the, the kind of the digital marketing part of uh, of mu- the music industry and how, uh, you know, promotional and promotions and stuff like that. But also just in terms of uh, being where you're from, uh, you know, like. Um, you know, Elder Sensei of the Artifacts when he first came out talked about how, you know, when they were in, they're from New Jersey, and like they, sometimes they had a they had a hide that they were from New Jersey when mm-hmm. they would go into New York. Uh, was that similar for you for for just when you were coming up, being that you're from Philly? Was that, a, was that a was that a was that helpful for you in terms of the wider the bigger picture? or Was that did, did you find that hurtful?
2: Nah, I, I always was. I mean, New York was where I probably was able to make the most inroads. Like I didn't have as many problems with people in New York as I did in Philly. Um, you know what I mean? Like I, I just instantly had friends out here and you know there there is a bit of a um like little brother syndrome between Philly and New York, but like that was never my experience. And the other thing is that my dad is from here, so I've been coming to New York my whole life. Nice. And it was it wasn't a thing really. You know what I mean? I, I felt equally at home here as I did in Philly. However, at the same time, you know, you always want to set yourself apart. You always want to let people know you're from Philly when you're here. Like, don't get it confused. Like I'm representing something different, but that was never a problem for me here.
1: Uh, you know, you mentioned uh, kind of having to take a break from the industry and, you know, you look at your bio and it talks about like how you, you were on the steady incline and you were performing around the world. And you were with like the likes of Nas and Rakim and J. Cole, Wu-Tang, et cetera. Right. Um, Can you kind of talk about what happened that made you just take that break from the industry and uh, focus more, I guess, on your, uh, you know, uh, Mike, the person and not just the artist.
2: Yeah, I mean, I feel like I was living a life that was too small for me. You know what I mean? Like, I'm out here uh, basically trying to get the same, like, 20, 30 shows across the world over and over. And it doesn't really compound. Like, I didn't have enough money at the time to... Make myself bigger than I was, and so when you do that over and over, first of all, it's like bad for your mental health, right? Because you're like watching other people come up that you're just as good as, or if not better, and you're just like, why is this not happening for me? And a lot of that for me was like I believed in this concept of meritocracy in music, and that's just not real. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like you you look at someone like a Nas, and you're like, oh, he was just the best. That's why he was on, and that just wasn't real, uh, especially at the time where I was doing things. And so I was just like, you know, just kind of looking at my life and not really feeling like I had anything to show for it. Like, sure. I had some records, I did some tours, I met a lot of great people, but I didn't feel like I was moving forward in a way that I was capable of. Whereas I was doing the same things in the marketing world and you know, things were just working, right? Mm -hmm. Like people were just reacting, To what I was doing in that meritocracy way that I was looking for. And it was like, it doesn't really make sense for me to continue to like run in place on this one thing when this other thing is just taking off. And so during those years, because I didn't release a record since like 2009, you know what I mean? And, um, you know, I kept threatening to like put out a new record like, yeah, I'm going to work on a new EP. <laughs> but it, it just didn't make sense because like effectively I'm losing money to make a record. Right, right, yeah. <laughs> and it wasn't really until last year when I was sitting with my business coach and I was like, yo, man, I really want to make a record before I turn 40. And he was like, all right, well, you got to actually do it. <laughs> like, You got to take a week <laughs> off and go make that happen. And i was really lucky to be able to reconnect uh with my guy he used to go by the name Low. he goes by uh, anwar high sign now and you know i booked the studio for a full week i was going in there every day from 10 to 6 like it was a job and you know we were just like reconnecting with it and i had a blast doing it and i literally dropped the record um uh, the day before my birthday at 11 59. No, p.m. Right. Sure. <laughs> i can't see
0: his hand the shots ain't land but the optic was cute oops blow it, you can't push this out but why fight it's not in the pot
1: so were you so did you just completely stop writing uh you know during this time I mean when you went in when you finally went in the studio right did you did you have stuff written down that you were ready to put out there or was it just really you know kind of you both working from scratch
2: so I had a bunch of stuff and I recorded that um but what was really resonating with me was the new stuff because um there's a gentleman named Trox who produced the whole EP and you know, I've been sitting on beats from him for years. Cause like I said, I was threatening to put a record out and you know, I got some beats from him and I'd actually hit him up when I was on my way to the studio. Like, yo, can you send me some new stuff? And I'm sure he was like, yeah, okay, sure. I'll take your money again, but I know you're never going to actually do these records. (laughs) And, um, so the first record that we did that was his was King's Ransom, and you know I'm rapping for like 48 bars on that joint, and he was just like, "Oh, okay, you gassing right now," and so, you know, that was the record that, or the records I did of his were the ones that I loved the most, and I was just like, "Yo, send me some more tracks. I'm just gonna do this full EP with you." So in answer to your question, um, no, I didn't really use too much like old material on this record. Um, it was mostly, like, stuff that I had written in the moment I
0: found growth
2: yeah, like a mammogram I'm
0: down Jones My industry's average And I'm savage with Dow That's a hang-up You should fall back Acting out of character And never getting callbacks I'm all at
2: That's Because I imagine, also,
1: you're obviously at this, you know, different headspace, right? I mean...
2: Yeah, I'm a different person yeah. You know what I mean? Like, I'm I'm not struggling anymore, right? Like, it's just a different experience
1: how how does that? Um, did you know? I mean, do you notice the difference? I mean, did you notice the difference of being like uh, I don't want to, you know, I guess like a stressed out writer versus a you know person that you know you're you're financially set, you're okay, you don't have to you don't have to worry about that in terms of the writing process, like you know, writing because you need to eat versus writing because you're actually having fun doing it.
2: Yeah, absolutely, and part of. The work for me was like figuring out how do I even rap now. You know what I'm saying? Like, like I can't just keep writing struggle bars. I can't, um, you know, like just be reminiscing on 15 years ago. So I had to really sit there and discover, like, okay, what is my style? What references do I do? Am I still going to have like science fiction references in my bars? Like, how how does this music represent me now? And um that was one of the things that stopped me previously because I was just like, I don't know what I rap about. And then the other thing is that a lot of people got really good at rapping. (laughs) (laughs) You know what I mean? Like I, I used to rhyme because I felt like the level of skill that I had as a lyricist wasn't so commonplace. And now it is far more commonplace. Like a lot more people do the things that I used to do. And so it's like, okay, well, what is my purpose in being an MC at this point? And um, discovering that was just like a, a whole journey. And now that I'm clear on that, it's, it's far easier for me to sit down and make records than it was when I started.
1: Uh, I wanna ask you about, um, is you were, I was watching an interview you did, uh, uh, kind of talking about, uh, you're, you're, you're about to drop the video with uh, Music Soul Child. Mm-hmm. And you, you talked about, in quote, you said, trying to make a hit. Um, uh, you know, business side of things, you run, I pull rank, uh, you know, I remember being in a radio station when I first got out of college and being part of like the social media team or something. And the CEO is always like, I want I'll make a video that goes viral. Right. Mm-hmm. Which is always that random general request that, you know, whatever. But, mm-hmm. um, is there, when, when you talk about trying to make a hit, is there a, formula that this works i mean that you know that you is there is there a way of taking of 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 having a record i guess that is going to be that hit versus just a record that you know just would be on the record
2: yeah so that was actually an afterthought for for made it uh specifically because uh you know when i made the record at first music wasn't on it and it was like you know, I, I'm a huge music soul child fan. And I was like, can we actually get him? And so then I was like, oh, okay, this is a hit record now. Like, let's, let's try to actually make it that. And so when I say that I'm more talking about it from a, a marketing standpoint, and I'm not talking about like, oh, how do we make the, the video viral? Cause I don't even think that's realistic. It's certainly not with that video, but I'm more like, let's take this record to radio, which is what we've done. Like it's being played on um, a handful of commercial radio stations right now and i really wanted to see like can i make this a record that people in the in the geo target that i want to go after which is from massachusetts to uh, dc that it gets played on the radio and then can we take it further than that you know is this the type of record that um We can get tons of streams on and it becomes like a a billboard charted record because at this point It doesn't require that you make a record of any specific sound, right? Like you have records like guys like Griselda, right? Like they're just making the shit that we all grew up on and they're charting with those records Or you got, you know, Trap, you got Drake type records, you like all those types of things There's just such a wide variety because people are so reactive to what is happening online on Spotify and things like that. So for me, it's just like, cool, well, I know how to do all that stuff. Can we make this record a hit? Hmm. And that's what we're trying to figure you out. climb now. the mountain while I would mess with the Netgev sketch. Watching you caca obstacles, I never
0: second guess. You started me on a high note like a treble clef. That's why I'm neck and neck with the lesser evils. It takes special people to make special people. If I ever need you, there you go again. Thank you for everything I don't know you did You made the sacrifice you Gave more than half your life I wanna
1: paying... Is this house a good price compared to others in the area? Are prices going up or down? If I don't make an offer right this very moment, will I miss my chance? These are just some of the questions a home buyer might ask And these are the sorts of questions an agent who is a realtor can help answer Because Realtors have the expertise, data, and access to specialty training to help you navigate the process of buying a home. They provide support, guidance, and have your back every step of the way. That's what Realtors do. Because that's who we are. Realtors are members of the National
2: Association of Realtors.
1: And and once it becomes a hit, does that mean you have to change your approach to content creation? I mean, you mentioned like every three months, right? I mean, does that mean you have to kind of up the ante and maybe do a weekly track or a weekly something just to no. keep that momentum going?
2: No, I don't feel like I need to do that. Um, because the way that we're releasing this record is like, cool, the EP is out, but we're also releasing every song as a single. And then every single has a video. And so there's more ways to to get more eyes on your stuff and seem like you're always, you know, always on without having to make more songs and so i'm just trying to find what's a good equilibrium for me because i know i'm never going to be the type of person that's like here's a verse every friday like that's just that's just not how i operate so just trying to find what works for me and also creates what i'm trying to create
1: uh, you know, the the, the track uh, made it with the Music Soul Trout track. Uh, you released it on Mother's Day. Mm-hmm. Uh, so a track obviously dedicated to your mom. When did you write this uh, track or when did this idea come to you? And then also because it's dedicated to such a special person, how was it difficult to write in terms of because you wanted to be perfect or was it just so easy to write because it was about your mom?
2: Uh, I mean, I'm generally a perfectionist. So, <laughs> you know, everything is more... Difficult than it needs to be, <laughs> um, and I know that's not even cool to say. Like you, mo- you're supposed to make everything look effortless, but for me, I'm I'm always like, you know, did these syllables line up the right way? Did I get enough punch lines off? Like, am I using the right level of indi- uh, imagery? How's my flow sounding? Like, all of that is so important to me. I've never been like a one take guy because I want to get the perfect takes. Um, and I really respect people that, you know, look at their artistry that way. As far as the difficulty of writing it, now, that one was actually relatively easy. And I wrote it about a year ago or maybe a little less. And yeah, like I said, like I, I had the record and I really loved it. And then I was like, what can take it to the next level? And then, you know, I, I reached out to my network. I was like, yo,
1: can we get music? And we
2: made it happen. Nice.
1: Uh, you, you start off the track with made in Philadelphia, but I made it in New York. Uh, mm-hmm. When, what defined, well, what defined for you making it in New York?
2: Um, Just being in a space where I don't have to worry about, you know, my livelihood moving forward. Right. Like I, I am in a space where I can effectively do anything I want. And, um, you know, made in Philadelphia is just saying like, Hey, I was born in Philadelphia. I represent that, but it really took me going to New York to like get to that next level. And that's exactly what happened. So yeah, it's pretty straightforward. Uh,
1: there's a line in it that I uh, really like that. Cause it reminds me of a, uh, a record from, uh, the deaf poetry jam, uh, artist, Black Ice, uh, where you say, uh, I admit that I'm gifted. You made them test me again. And then this line from, uh, Black eyes in his track uh, the the record where he also dedicated to his mom, and he spits well, my boys need a little more attention and it 's obviously that they are smarter you got to make them work harder Ooh. i I have raised them to to be above the level above level. Um, can you talk about a little bit about how your mom has had challenge has and still has i imagine cha- challenges you not just in school but in your art and with whatever you do
2: yeah it's it's actually it was really remarkable to watch um that Kanye documentary, because his relationship with his mother is actually really similar to mine with my mother. And um, in the literal sense on that line, so I was tested for as to whether or not I was like considered mentally gifted. Um, I think in New York, they have something called gifted and talented, same sort of thing. And like, I missed it by two points or something like that. And my mom was just completely adamant she did not allow them to be like no he is not mentally gifted and so she made them test me again and my score was like significantly higher the second go around but to that point my mom has always not allowed me to settle for things she's always um you know encouraged me to be my best possible self she's always um you know been encouraging when people would be like oh you can't do this you're you ain't shit like that type of thing and she's just always like yo remember who you are like you are super capable you can do anything that you want and she just never allowed me to like settle for anything
1: uh you spit um on the promise i've been arrogant since my humble beginnings uh (laughs) Where, where does this arrogance come from and has and how has it helped you, but also has it ever hurt you?
2: Yeah, I mean, it comes from being loved by anybody in your family, right? <laughs> like, I've, I've always been considered the person who is going to do great things. Because um, both of my parents were, like, the first ones to really make it in their respective families. They both went to Penn. They both continued through their careers, like I said, and made it. My mom also has a master's from Yale. Um, my dad has an MBA from NYU so he, he only worked at like blue chip companies and things like that so my family always expected me to do the same things and they've always showed me a lot of love and that's always given me a lot of confidence in myself um, <clears throat> it certainly hurt me a lot in the past because you know I, I looked at rap in a very binary way like you're either dope or you're terrible and I never Shied away from telling rappers that I thought they were terrible. And so (laughs) you you see where that, you know, doesn't allow you to create a lot of friends. Um, But, you know, learning from those mistakes when I went into the business world, like really helped me out. Like, yo, just be cool. You know, like just um, meet people where they are and be cool. And And it has gotten me very far in life because the reality is that I am someone who does a lot of great things and if I'm not cool, if I am someone who's like overbearing or whatever, that makes a lot of people uncomfortable. But that said, you know, in my humble beginnings, I was a very arrogant person.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Uh, time out featuring little fame. Uh, you spit, uh, speaking of arrogance, (laughs) you spit uh, best rapper ever is what I identify as. Uh, (laughs) Um, You know, you think about it, hip hop, and being like, you know, it's a lot about boasting, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, and 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 you know, you you have to have a sense of cockiness and, and confidence, so to say. Um, but let's, you know, but we you know, we talk about how you, you did take a break from, you know, you took a break from the art, and you know, this is kind of like the some of the, the first lines we're hearing from you, you know, after a while, right? Mm-hmm. Um, well, One, did you? Were you worried about how this line would be perceived by artists that you know haven't heard from you in a while? Uh, but two, have you heard any pushback from artists that haven't heard from you in a while?
2: <laughs> I mean, I, I did think about that when I wrote it down, but I was like, well, people can't argue with you about what you, how you identify. You know what I mean? Like, you you can't you can't say to Rachel Dalazal like, hey, you don't get to identify as a black woman. She does. Like, I mean. Like, I disagree with it, but she does. Um, So I I did think about it, but I was like, I can get over on this one. Uh, But the other thing is that it's actually a far simpler idea for me as far as feeling as though I'm the best rapper ever. And it's really that I still feel as though I do what I like better than anyone else. And I've always felt like if you as a rapper don't feel that way, why don't you either just get better or stop rapping? You know what I mean? Like, cause what what is the purpose of you doing that if you're not if you're not doing what you love the best? Um, end of the day, it's completely subjective. And in fact, I'm working on this project, which is the website BestRapperEver.com, where we're looking to figure out ways to um, quantify what it takes to be the best rapper ever. And there's obviously going to be different types of best rapper ever, like best commercial rapper, best lyricist, things like that. And so it's like a big data science project that uh, I'm working on that I'm excited to like, you know, kind of create the equivalent of like what 538 does with um, sports analytics and things like that. So yeah, I'm, I'm, I don't want this to just be me boasting. I want it to be like, well, can we put together some sort of rubric or data model that shows what this actually looks like, and then how do I personally um, match up to this? There was a a uh, data visualization experience a couple of years ago on this site called putting dot or putting dot cool, and it was like who has the biggest vocabulary in hip hop? Right. Yeah. But there was another thing that they had done that was kind of like buried in the site where they showed what rappers are most similar to each other based on what they talk about. And I thought that was really interesting because you saw things like, you know, cannabis is most similar to Eminem or like, you know, all the Wu-Tang dudes are very similar to each other and things like that. And I think there's some really interesting insights that allow us to quantify things in addition to whatever subjective experience you have with rap music.
1: So when do you hope to have that? It's probably a big, you know, when do you hope to have that live to, uh,
2: It'll probably be in the next three months. Like, I've got some folks working on the data mining right now. We're also trying to pull in things like streaming numbers and so on just to see um, what sort of model we can build. But right now, it's very much the, the data collection stage.
1: Um, the the title Iconic, uh, how do you come up with that as your title for the EP? And, and also the way it's written, you know, lowercase I, capital C
2: yeah um it's it's got multiple meanings here or multiple purposes at least um one i used to go by icon the mike king and if there's anyone still searching for icon the mike king a record name iconic by mike king will also come up so that's like a a quick thing for that and then the other thing is that iconic is a word that's just so used so much lately and kind of misused right like people will be like oh i love your outfit it's iconic and and i kind of just wanted to like take that back because like because you know i i went by icon so i kind of take it as like oh you're saying that's as awesome as me and i disagree so so yeah and then it's just like you know I am in a, a a space where I am doing things that are considered, you know, to be game-changing and, and big and impressive. And so, yeah, I just wanted this record to kind of be a snapshot of that as well.
1: Uh, you take the EP and you take all the records on this EP. Um, is there a kind of a track that kind of some, or even maybe a, a, a lyric or, or or anything that kind of sums up you as an artist now, but also as a person?
2: Yeah, the last verse on Miss Me, where I'm talking about basically, you know, um, letting go of my old self. And, um, you know, because like the first two verses, first verse I'm talking about, it's like a composite of women that were in my life. And I'm like, talking about like, you know, you missed out, I'm awesome. And then then, uh, the second verse is like, you know, previous employees that were more detractors than people that contributed. So again, a composite speaking to them, and then the third verse is me speaking to my old self and how, you know, the things that I believed before are no longer valuable to to me in this way, and in fact, they're probably holding me back. So it's time to let go of that.
1: Uh, favorite thing about. Okay, favorite thing about the art form when you first started out, but what, what's your favorite thing about the art form now?
2: Um, I have always loved the ability to say something and have it mean multiple things to people. Like I'm all about the multiple entendres and, um, you know, like having that, so neatly uh, put in the bars where it's like, everything is rhyming and like, you you can completely miss something that I say, or you could hear something later and be like, oh, that's what he meant by that. Like that has always been my favorite thing. And I love rappers that do things like that. Um, there's a word I, I learned recently, it's called an acrostic. It's like when you, let's say you write like a paragraph and then uh, down the left of it, it spells something out. Like there was a um, an instance where uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger as governor, he wrote a, a letter to, you know, his constituents or whatever, and he wrote out this paragraph and if you read down the left it said, fuck you. So <laughs> so like like I've done stuff like that in verses before. You know what I mean? So like I'm all about the hidden meetings and the double entendres and, you know, just like the really ill structures and rats. But what I'm really into now is just like trying to make a good song. Right. It's not just about like making it making you feel it in your head like I'm describing with those other things. It's also like making you feel it in your stomach. And I think I have a few records that hit that way and they're still, you know, somewhat technical and and have those layered meanings in it. And I feel like that's kind of the ultimate realization of what I can
1: do. Uh, he's an MC he's a digital marketer he's he's iconic mykinks thank you so much man for joining me on live wrap the I a interview with Tim ago I greatly appreciate this,
2: for having this beliefs, but I can't commit the memory.
0: we had some good times you and I you and I but now our past ain't unified to scrutinize my world through your eyes is suicide now watch me put it down while you're euthanized so who am I what's the bottom line? Walking off the feeling of running out of time. Hope you got what you want and want what you got. Cause I live it to the limit and I love it a lot. Do I miss you? Oh no, I don't miss you. Oh no, hope you got what you want. And- there are any number of reasons you might consider selling your home. To move closer to family, live within a smaller budget, or just wanting a change of scenery. Whatever your reasons, having to figure out all the various housing market trends in your area may not be what you signed up for. That's where an agent who is a Realtor comes in. Realtors have the expertise to help you find the right price and navigate the process to sell your home in a way that's right for you. That's who we are. Realtors are members of the National Association of Realtors. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me.